on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game. coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgianos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today in our show, we're going to talk about why the RNC is broke. Number two, we have a guest joining us in studio, Mitch Little, going to join me to talk about his race for Texas State House. He's a candidate for House District 65, also played a prominent role in the impeachment proceedings uh, with respect to uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton. We're going to talk about Biden's gaslighting turkey lies. I made up that phrase. It's kind of funny, gaslighting turkey lies. And finally, ongoing COVID tyranny and the latest from Dr. Naomi Wolf. And I'm going to tell you at the end why these stories matter to you. As my mother used to say to us growing up, listen fast because I have a lot to say. I do have a lot jammed in today, but I think it all really matters. I want to, before I launch into why the RNC is broke, I want to thank Brighty on TV. I'm going to spell that for you. I urge you to check it out. Brighty on TV is B-R-I-G-H-T-E-O-N dot TV. They are a wonderful organization that gives shows like mine, conservative shows that are not on a popular large network, a chance to get out there in the world. They have fabulous hosts, Ann Vandersteel, many other wonderful uh, talk show hosts do their shows there. I urge you to check them out. They also have a great store there you can check out and buy some of their gear, brighton.tv gear. So thank you to them for carrying this show and do check them out. Okay, there was a story about the RNC. Uh, they're not really broke. That was an exaggeration to make a point. But the RNC, Republican National Committee, uh, turns out the news came out, has much less money fewer dollars in their bank account than even the Democrat National Committee has right now. Um, and on top of that, um, they are at the lowest balance, bank balance since 2015. They're at 9.1 million. And this is obviously heading into the election season. They don't have a lot of dollars sitting around in the RNC. I'm gonna tell you why in a moment. But first I wanna ask you, how many days do you think it is before the first actual caucus or before the Iowa caucus, before the first primary? Here we are, we're past Thanksgiving, we're getting into the Christmas season, 48 days. And that is relevant, what I'm going to say about why the RNC is broke. 48 days from now, we'll have the first of the primaries to determine the presidential nominee who will represent the Republicans in our presidential race this fall. The RNC is uh, not just losing money, but the fact is people aren't donating to the RNC. Uh, it has been chaired by Ronna McDaniel for Mm, since 2016, I think, and uh, maybe even before that. In any case, their, their coffers are down, their money's down, and there's a lot of talk about why. Why would the uh, Republican Party not be receiving donations, especially at the time when many people are so concerned about the direction of our country under he who occupies the White House, Joe Biden? Because this is a time you'd think many people deeply concerned, thinking, you know, I'm concerned about America, let me send money to the RNC. I'll tell you what I think it is. 
the RNC does not listen to their own voters. They don't listen, they don't respond to their own voters. They also don't deal with the reality of where we are in America in 2023, almost 2024. They do not act like a party that understands how dangerous and radical the Democrat Party in Washington is today, how radical their policies are, how undermined their policies are of basic guaranteed freedoms in America. They don't act like they understand what time it is in America. There's that point. The other thing that happens is, when I say what time it is in America, we're nearly into December of 2023. We have, I think it is five or six remaining Republican uh, contenders who are uh, seeking the nomination for the presidency. Donald Trump is basically up by almost 60 points, almost 60 points over the other people who are running for RNC, running for the president, uh, presidency on the GOP side. He's way ahead. He's way ahead in national polls. He's, in fact, I'm gonna share some other great things with you that are happening because my point is this. You have to gauge your spending, your policies, your behavior as the RNC based on the news of today, based on where we are today. If we had you know, Trump at 22, DeSantis at 21, you know, Nikki Haley at 20, or something where the voters are still trying to figure out who they want, It'd be a different world, but that's not where we are right now. And I at first to tell you, I've told my listeners many times, when Trump came along in 2016, we were I was not a Trump supporter at first. We had supported Ted Cruz, I'm a Texan, he's our senator, he's a great guy, I happen to know him and his family, he's a great guy. We were, we were for him, so it was not just a, Trump's gotta be the guy. I did see, however, when, as soon as uh, uh, Ted Cruz withdrew and Donald Trump was the, going to be the Republican candidate, uh, look more closely to understand what was drawing people to him. And I've said it many times in the show, and I'll say it again what right now is happening. Donald Trump sends a signal to the millions and millions, the masses, the everyday person, the everyday man in America, that America is a good, noble country that deserves a sense of uh, protection from the, the administration, deserves to have sovereignty of America protected, not sold out to the World Health Organization, deserves to have our borders enforced, respecting the existence of America as a country. Donald Trump signifies, he tells America, America matters, America's good, America should be defended. And he is saying the things against those things against the backdrop of a whatever term you want to use deep state the bureaucratic state in washington dc the bureaucratic power that runs things from behind the scenes donald trump has been there for four years he's seen what they do and he's ready to fight that deep state there are millions of americans who want their country back who want to feel again as though the republican party listens to them listens to what they want, does not just get into negotiating with the Democrats about anything. The Democrat Party, I'll get into this more later today, but the, the Democrat Party, the ideology, what they now embrace in their platform, it is Marxism. That is where they live, it's who they are. And so people who love America, love the founding ideas of America, love freedom, they want to have the RNC stand up for that America. And the only candidate talking in those terms, the only candidate willing to acknowledge how dangerous the left is and what needs to happen in Washington, the massive cleanup, is Donald Trump. And that's why people are backing him. And I promise you, if the candidate who had emerged out of all this primary process so far were somebody else, I'd be saying the same thing. 
when the main candidate is 60 points up, or nearly 60 points up, over everyone else, it's time for the RNC to act like they're listening to what the Republican voters are saying and get behind Donald Trump. I have a whole litany of things I can tell you the RNC should be doing. However, I'm uh, past my first five. Um, I'm only at my first eight, but I'm about done. I just want to say the RNC is facing serious trouble because they don't have yet the mindset that people are waiting to hear. They want to hear from the RNC. They understand the fight we are in to preserve our country. That's what people want to hear from the RNC. They don't hear that message, and so they aren't going to donate. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So you have joining us in studio, uh, we have Mitch Little, who I will tell you uh, is a, t he's running for Texas State um, Legislature, Texas does HD, we, we always say HD is House District um, 65, and um, I met him actually through a friend who uh, has known him for years and was encouraging me to get to know him. Um, he's, you know, there are in this uh, great state of Texas, uh, if you watch the show very often, you know, there's a big issue going on in Texas because there's a... Um, there was the impeachment of a very popular attorney general. Um, there are Republicans who serve in the Texas House, where there is a Republican majority, but sometimes you can't tell that, uh, who, who voted to impeach this attorney general. And when the uh, issue went from the House, it voted to impeach to the Senate. They had the decision to look at the evidence and decide whether to remove or not. Um, it became clear that there really wasn't any evidence uh, that the House had, so kind of a funny thing, they moved to impeach. But our candidate today uh, was a lawyer for Attorney General Paxton during the Senate trial, during the impeachment effort um, end of the trial. Uh, and he also, what he observed there in part, I think drove him to decide he'd like to run uh, for the House himself, or Texas State House. So we'll hear more about that today. Welcome to the show, Mitch Little. Thank you so much, Debbie. It's so good to be with you. Great to have you here. And I, you know, um, I tease it a little bit, but we can just do a little bit of the story about the, uh, the, the uh, Ken Paxton Senate impeachment thing. Because when I, I saw, I, okay, so we, we both were at an event um, recently, a couple weeks ago, and uh, some of the stories that were being told about that, I mean, our Attorney General Ken Paxton, who was not removed, um, was among the, he was the main speaker, and there were some remarks made earlier by Mitch Little, um, who's here today. And one of the ones that was so funny, and we kind of it gelled the whole problem, was this back and forth you have with a witness about what evidence they actually had, or that they brought to the FBI. Yeah, certainly. So that was kind of the, the key initial moment in the trial for me. It was the first cross-examination of uh, one of the quote-unquote whistleblowers who was brought forth by the, by the Texas uh, House Board of Managers in the impeachment trial. And um, I think it's safe to say he crumbled. Um, they, they went to the FBI to make a complaint about the attorney general without any type of documentary evidence, any type of physical evidence, or really any information that the FBI could use. Um, I, I think it's it's disturbing that Republicans are supposed to be the party of justice, fair play, due process. Law and order. And yep. it was it, law and order. And it was eschewed very quickly in favor of, of trying to move forward with what was really a witch hunt against Ken Paxton. It did. And there, you know, I will say that whole um, witch hunt thing, I've said many times about Ken Paxton, as an attorney general, he, he stands head and shoulders above 
other attorney generals around the country because he's willing to take on the hard cases, to take cases uh, to federal court or a state court if needed, uh, to defend and really to stand up against what was uh, the Obama administration, now the Biden administration. I think what's remarkable about our attorney general is he has this unusual bias toward action that you don't see with officials of, at that level. He just, he just does it. While, while everyone else is thinking about it, he just does it. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that he inspires the grassroots is he's a man of action. And you know, this, when you talked at the outset, Debbie, about this problem with the RNC, I think we have an equivalent problem in Texas. It's this decoupling of our leaders from the grassroots and what inspires them. And so we have people at a national level leading the RNC who are decoupled from what regular people are thinking. So that when you text your state representative or I text my state representative saying, hey, I really don't think you should be spending your time impeaching the attorney general. I think you should be spending it on our legislative priorities. They ignore it because they're decoupled from you. And I, I think really Republicans nationally, Republicans in Texas are suffering from a lack of inspiration by their leaders. And they're going to naturally gravitate toward people who inspire them, you know? Amen to that. And is, I think I was mentioning in the first five, how Donald Trump made people feel. You know, people marveled that he was a, is a billionaire, and yet he somehow had the grassroots, these people coming to rallies who were obviously farmers, or they were, you know, they're just, they're, they're laborers, they're everyday Americans who said, wow, this guy, I can relate to this guy. And people in the, in the in prominent media were saying, how could that be? But it's because his message was America's good, and you're good, and you deserve protection. And it takes courage to take that stance. I think it's it's axiomatic that people follow courage. They don't just follow you because you got elected to office. They follow courage. And Donald Trump has courage. Attorney General Paxton has courage. I think we are starting to see more candidates that will take bold, courageous steps forward, advancing our beliefs, our principles. Just love that. Okay, so you're running now for um, Texas state rep, and there is this is a primary. So um, yeah. this is for our happy listeners. This is uh, in Texas, March 5th. It is a primary in Texas, so that there's at least one other candidate involved in this race. So um, you hadn't been a politician before this time, correct? Never had no desire to do that. I was living a very happy, peaceful life until uh, certain people just decided not to leave me and my friends alone. <laughs> yeah, who decided not to leave you and your friends alone? You know, I. Uh, I, over the last year, I've gotten a crash course in politics in Texas, Debbie. Um, I really did not understand how toxic our state legislature is. It's this, it's, there's so much malign influence that's a, as a result of this unholy alliance that elects the Speaker of the House in Texas, this alliance between center-left Democrats, center-left Republicans and the Democrats to identify what I'll call a compromise speaker. And so you have compromised Republicans in the state house helping elect someone who is going to actively confront and advocate against the things that a lot of these Republicans ran on back in their home districts. It is astonishing. And that is, uh, for our listeners, I remind you, if you didn't see the show a Thursday, it's a couple months ago now, Michael Quinn Sullivan joined me on a Thursday show to run through the film he made, which is called The Texas Heist. And basically, he's summarizing how we in Texas, I mean, if you live, I grew up in New York, if you live other places, everyone thinks, well, Texas, my gosh, is so strong, Republicans are in charge. The Texas House is pretty much run by the Democrats, even though the majority elected is Republican because of this process of choosing a speaker, uh, the Democrats choosing a speaker, calling off whatever it is, 10 or 12 Republicans, getting on board, and pretty soon you've got a speaker who is aligned with the Democrat agenda, 
with an R by his name. I, I think most voters, Debbie, who are voting in their home districts in Texas, Texas don't really understand how misaligned their representatives are with the values that they're voting. And I will, I'll put myself among them. I think until the last one or two years, I didn't really understand how misaligned my representative was with my values and the values of my friends and, and coworkers and family. It's, uh, it's disturbing. And I think what happens is they, these representatives, they get elected, they go to Austin, they become co-opted by a machine where there is money at stake, there's influence at stake, there's power inside the building, and they forget about the people back home who are waiting to be inspired by their courage. Exactly right. You say they forget about the people at home. They remember enough to go back home on breaks and continue the same rhetoric they ran on. I mean, they, they go to Austin, they do whatever they need to do inside the walls of Austin, but they go, understand when they go home to campaign, I, I better say, yeah, yeah, me, low taxes. I mean, don't you think that's right? They I, You're 100% right about that, Debbie. I call it the claw game. It's like the old claw game you used to go to the arcade or whatever, and you move the little joystick over the stuffed yeah. animal trying to get it out with the claw. Well, the claw runs on a software program that tells it when to grab hard and when not to. And so when you move that little claw around, your representative's going, oh, border security, we didn't get it that time, maybe next time. Oh, oh, election integrity, oh, we were so close that time, maybe next session. It's, it's disturbing. And the problem is that these representatives, they're taking money from the same groups that are killing the bills that the voters sent them down there to carry. That is so well said. Exactly right. They're take and, and speaking of money, which doesn't have to be a big topic today, but part of what happens with this process of the speaker being selected by the Democrats is they have a big pile of money. And, and I asked recently several guests in the show, where's the money coming from? Is that just in the state party? But it's not. It's a lot of lobbyists. It's a lot of uh, organizations that can. So the speaker got a bunch of money. And so he's going to encourage and support Republicans who are going to go along with whatever he wants. So he doles out money to people who will go along with the way he wants to do things, which isn't the same as what the Republican voters wanted. It's really buying influence. There's a political industrial complex in Texas where the speaker is able to consolidate his power by giving money to either incumbents or people who are running for office in order to co-opt them. We have representatives in the state who have taken literally hundreds of thousands of dollars from the speaker of the house. This, and I think it's important for your listeners, your viewers to understand, this is really a novelty in Texas politics. This is a recent development. It really didn't exist before this speaker. And um, the fact that it exists now should disturb everyone who's going to the polls, that we have a person who lives in Beaumont who's controlling policy in Louisville, in Dallas, in Plano, in McKinney. All over. Yeah, all over. Okay, so I, I love exposing that, and I love that you're part of what you, you observed when you were down in Texas, working as an attorney in the legislature, um, representing Ken Paxson. You, you saw this firsthand. You saw how the legislature really works versus the idyllic view of what you thought was happening. So you decided to run. So I'm going to jump into So you're a lawyer by background. You were practicing law up until the time of this can you still are practicing I'm still law, practicing law. I practiced law 15 minutes before I got here, Debbie. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, good for you. Okay. So what are the things? So, I mean, and that is actually another thing unique. You're right about you being unique in Texas. I couldn't believe when I got here in Texas, because we lived in California many years, in New York, where I grew up, you know, the legislature is six months every other year. Yeah. And so that the intention is, of course, to just 
prevent them from passing mountains of laws. I mean, you, you restrict the time, you get focused on the big issues, you don't, you're, it's an attempt to limit government, I think, is the reason. I think that's the purpose. I think that's the design that you have a, a session every two years and the reps being elected every two years. So you have a session, there's accountability at the, at the polling place. And then if you don't like that person, you've got somebody else. The problem is the introduction of vast sums of money into Texas politics insulates those Republican incumbents who are voting with Democrat, a Democrat speaker from accountability. Because if you're trying to run against an incumbent, like I am as an example, I'm running against someone who is financed by the same lobby that is trying to stabilize uh, Texas away from conservative policies. It's, it's a really disturbing development. It's why we need reformers in the Texas House. We don't just need politicians. We don't just need regular people. We need people whose hearts are set on reform, who have the courage to do something about it. Okay, so what are the big reforms needed? I mean, a few anyway. We have got to stop putting Democrats in charge of committees in the Texas House. And that starts with not electing a speaker who is, who is chosen by Democrats and center-left Republicans. Republicans who are sent down to Austin to represent their voters should be caucusing together, identifying a Republican speaker who is going to advance Republican policies and not install Democrat committee chairs where important policies or important bills are gonna die in committee as a result of that. And on top of that, really allows not just the speaker, but other Republicans who run on some issue, they say they believe in it, but if, it's, if that bill that would get that policy in place is targeted some committee chaired by a Democrat, it gives all the Republicans cover. Well, I would have backed it, but the guy wouldn't let it out of committee. What was I supposed to do? Almost got it. Maybe next yeah. time. It is the most amazing thing. So I, I found that shocking, number one, to be Democrat chairs. Um, and that there wasn't more, I don't know what the word is, rebellion or something by, by by the caucus. But there really was. It just takes a few people. And then they decide, okay, you got these 10 or 12. And vote with the Democrats. And almost everyone else goes along then because you don't want to have voted publicly against the speaker. I think so that's the problem. A lack of boldness and courage to vote against a speaker that is going to espouse ideals that are different from the ones of the voters who sent you. And it's we need people who are going to take those active steps. We have we have those people in the legislature. If we had more of them, if we had more people of conviction, more people of courage, I think we wouldn't be getting the results that we're getting right now. Absolutely. So there is a Democrat chair issue which should be resolved. I also only learned recently that the person who's been appointed, I believe by the current um, House Speaker, who's been appointed a parliamentarian, is an is a Obama era or Obama official. I mean, is a person who's actually affiliated with the Obama administration, isn't yes, it? Yes, Hugh Brady, who's the parliamentarian. I mean, he's, he's a former Obama White House lawyer. I, um, and so I think the average person who is going to the polling place in March of 2024 <clears throat> doesn't realize the role of the parliamentarian in the House, that the parliamentarian almost single-handedly kills certain bills. The parliamentarian's point of order on House Bill 20, the border security bill, killed it in a regular session. And we could not find 10 Republicans to challenge the point of order. And so the, the bill died. Which is another thing you say, we need reformers. You need to get people with backbone enough to say, no, we're going to challenge that ruling by the parliamentarian. You get 10 is all it takes? When you're challenging the parliamentarian, you're challenging the speaker. When you're challenging the speaker, you're challenging powerful lobby groups like ART, like Texans for Lawsuit Reform. And when you challenge those people, they will push back. And I think 
I think even principled people are fearful of that. I'm not. I'm thrilled to hear that. I mean, I, I, I can tell that you're not, and I love that. So you, you, as you get down there, I mean, this it's almost like the change of process has to happen, these things you're describing, before you can get to resolving some of the issues that conservatives are, are really driving for. But what, what are your top issues? I mean, I, I have some on your website. You mentioned election integrity. Um, you know, that, that's my keeps me awake at night issue. Does it? I've, you know what? When I... <laughs> When I started this process, that was not probably a front of mind issue for me. But what what I realized as I started to sit down with my best friends, it was the first thing that came out of their mouth. And I think so. I, I saw a statistic this afternoon before I came over to visit with you. It was polling in Texas and it had Republicans. And what do you, do you think there, there was fraud in the election? Four percent of Republicans are sure there was no fraud in the election. <laughs> That means 96% have questions. Yeah. We have questions. And so at, this is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. When, when Ken Paxton uh, was impeached, before he was impeached, he was fighting to have authority to prosecute and investigate voter fraud. At the time, the Court of Criminal Appeals took that ability away from him. He had 900 active cases. 900. Not nine. Not 90. 900 active cases that they were investigating on voter fraud in Texas. And who's going to investigate them if he's not? Not the local sheriff, I can tell you that much. Well, this is a problem. The Court of Appeal decision said it had to come initially from the district attorney in the county. Well, if you have a Democrat DA, uh, or maybe even a corrupt Republican DA. Yeah, round you know, file. Yeah, you, you're done. You, you can't even start the process of the prosecution if the Democrat DA is going to say, no, I don't care. Uh, correct? Yes. Okay. Passionate. Now, yeah. Um, and on that issue of election integrity, you know, it, what it does, because people begin, don't trust the elections, it causes a lot of people to say, well, I used to think it mattered to vote, but I guess it doesn't. So people stay home because they think nothing I do will change anything. I mean, I, these are the externalities of what you were talking about when you started. Why, is, why, isn't, why doesn't the RNC have enough money? They're out of touch with the things that are worrying voters. And so by being out of touch, by being decoupled from the grassroots, the grassroots starts to go, these, these people are not for me. And when you decide that your leaders are not for you, what do you do? You stay home. We can't, we can't have that. We can't have that. You know, Texas, I think, will be um, okay for a while. I mean, I mean, we have a Republican base. We have just a, a conservative Heartland America base of people. But on the national level, you know, if we continue down the path we're on, this is most of my issues I do in the show are national. I mean, we're, they're setting things in place, structures and people and and uh, regulation that's going to make it very hard to pull us pull 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 us back, pull us back to being America again. So um, these, this election coming up is extremely important uh, for people who, I mean, you, you obviously can talk about secure the border, which I can't even believe we have to talk about that in Texas, uh, given we have Republican governance, but we do. We don't have a secure border. Um, do you want to hit anything on that really quickly? Yeah, we're, we're just not there yet. We're just not there yet. I mean, it could not be any more obvious that under a Democrat administration, they're not going to do anything to, Correct, to secure the ever. border. I mean, the whole back and forth between Ken Paxton's legal challenges and the Biden administration on the border is comical. They cut the wire, we get an injunction. They lift the wire, we get an injunction. They move the wire to the side, we get an injunction. There's, I mean, everything that we're doing to try to secure our border is being either foiled, challenged, or disrupted by the national administration. And as, as Texans, 
we can't sit idly by and wait for someone to come and rescue us. We have to try to solve this problem ourselves. Um, obviously, we're building border fence. We need to build more of it faster. Yeah. Um, on the subject of the Biden administration interfering with the border security efforts, there was a an EPA attempted to get in the middle. I think it was EPA that had some, you know, some endangered left-handed fish, whatever stupid thing it was, some creature in the river, which said, this is why all of this has to come out of the river. All of the... The obstacles. Yeah. What, whatever. You, yeah, yeah. The, the, the floating thing yeah. that had net beneath. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant construction. But, you know, I, I don't know, it wasn't really left-handed fish, but some, some fish yeah. was endangered. And so the EPA is <laughs> saying, well, sorry, you can't have that. You got to take it all out. I mean, they just, they, they are determined to make sure we don't have an enforceable border. They it's, have tools at their disposal. We have tools at our disposal. We need to be using ours. Absolutely true. Okay, so for our listeners, I, I mentioned we had your um, your website up. It's MitchLittleForTexas.com. I'm sure you could use uh, some volunteers and some help. So tell people how they can help you. Absolutely. So we're in the process of not only raising money, raising support, trying to generate ener energy and momentum around our campaign. We've been amazed by the response at people who are going to join us for our our kickoff on December 18th. Please go to the website, enter in your personal information. We will help you find a way to help. But and any donations, of course, from wherever are welcome as we continue to raise money. It's going to cost money to, to, uh, to fight this fight and to run this campaign, and, and we're going to raise it. Yeah, absolutely, especially since you're not going to be raising money from the speaker. You know, he's not going <laughs> to be sending you money because you have to play his game. That's so. a disadvantage that I welcome. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I, I first I want to commend you for running because I think a lot of people at this point, you're either, because people are concerned about Texas and America, you're either diving in and really doing something more, or you just, there are people I hear after speeches say, I, America's over. I give up. I, I'm, I just want to live out my years on my ranch and play with my horses or something. I mean, the, the, the time to fight is right now. And I love that. I want to commend you and thank you for stepping up. Uh, yes. Uh, and thank you for all that you do. I, I'll just say to everybody that listens to your show or watches you online, um, this it, it's very tempting to live out your life in peace. It, it was tempting to me. But at some point in time, the force of our convictions has to tell us we can't sit idly by and do nothing. I can do something. Everyone can do something. Not everyone's going to run for office, but everyone can do something. And we need to get out there and do it. And we need to do it quickly. Absolutely. Well, I know you're very popular among all of the, there are, a, there's a group of people in, oh, one more quick thing. Tell our listeners where your district is, like where are the big cities or towns? Yeah, House District 65. It runs east-west. It's Louisville, Castle Hills, Flower Mound, Highland Village, uh, Bartonville, Double Oak, Argyle, Justin, runs east-west through uh, the northern part of DFW. Okay, so that's large geographically, am I right? It is. It's, pr it's pretty large, yeah. Okay. Well, I, again, I commend you for running, and I want I urge our listeners to go to your website. I assume you can endorse there. Can't you do that? Boy, I hope so. Okay. And again, it's I'm sorry, just put away MitchLittleForTexas.com. Yeah. MitchLittleForTexas.com. That's pretty easy to remember. Yes, ma'am. Okay. MitchLittleForTexas.com. Go there, endorse, read his positions, and thank you very much for coming and thank joining you me so today. Much. It's it's a great joy. Thank you, Kevin. Great joy. Thanks. I love having you. Thank you so much. Okay, so I have two other topics I want to hit today. Um, one, I use this expression, Biden's uh, gaslighting turkey lies. I know it's a little bit of a mouthful, but if you did not see this, he who occupies the White House, uh, Joe Biden, gave a little bit of a, um, 
gave some remarks. I have them uh, shortened to some I want to show you. But this was these remarks he made about Thanksgiving and the cost of Thanksgiving dinner. Let's quick play that clip, and then we'll talk about it. In fact, as a share of earnings this Thanksgiving, dinner was the fourth cheapest ever on record. I want you all to know that. <laughs> I look at all the press for that. The is particularly excited about that, I can see. And I'm not entirely blaming Biden because I really, and, and I don't mean to sound unkind, I have watched very senior relatives in my family go through dementia. I understand it is it's challenging. It's, it's, it's horrible. But he's the leader of the free world. And so I'm not really blaming Biden for what he just said or what he's been told to say because I don't think he's in charge of our country. I think there are people behind the scenes pulling the strings, uh, mostly in particular, former President Obama, uh, George Soros, I could name a few other ones. But the point is, Biden's just saying what he's been told to say. But what he said is such an aggressive, outrageous lie that I wanted to spend a minute talking about it. You know, his comment was, you know, well, this is the fourth uh, least expensive Thanksgiving season. He's talking about food and travel and all things Thanksgiving. Um, you know, based on uh, current wages or, or where we are in wages. So I just want to mention first factually where we are in wages because he's implying, well, you know, wages are up, you know, all up a lot. So, you know, maybe food costs more, but so what? Because wages are up. It has no, no connection to reality. Here are the facts. Since he took office, inflation went to the highest level in over 40 years, four zero years. Despite slowing the rise recently, consumer prices are up nearly 17% overall. Gasoline is up 50.3. At the same time, average weekly earnings have not kept pace with prices. After adjusting for inflation, real weekly earnings dropped 3.9%. So people are taking home less money and things cost more, but somehow we just had the fourth most you know, inexpensive uh, Thanksgiving season. There's a slide that I sent to uh, Mr. Emilio, my wonderful producer. It's just going to show you the cost of, uh, it's a green and blue lines, uh, the cost of the prices of things. Let's put that up. If, do we have that? I assume we have that. No, we don't have that. Oh, yes, we do. Okay. So let me quick tell you about this. So just so you know, you don't think I'm making up stuff. This slide you're looking at is taken from data, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, Employment Hours and Earnings from the Current Employment Statistics Survey, National, as well as the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index, as well as their PPI commodity data and consumer price index news release. So this is public data from Biden's own administration. The top is showing food costs, the green you're seeing at the top. That's how much of an increase in food cost since the January 2020 inauguration of he who occupies the White House, Biden. Flour, a fundamental component of baking everything, 35% um, higher. Baby food, formula, 28, almost 29% higher. Bread is up 26%. Frozen fruits and vegetables up 25%. Poultry's up 25%. Uh, Ground beef is up 24%. Dairy up 23%. Lunch meats up 23%. And soups up 21 
So food is not just a tiny bit edging up higher. Food is massively more expensive now because of Biden administration policies, because of policies they have in place. The bottom that you're seeing on the screen, the blue, is other related costs, things that just what it costs to live, to try to go visit Aunt Sally over Thanksgiving, whatever it is. It's you know heating oil, diesel, gasoline, vehicle leasing, vehicle insurance, vehicle repair, delivery services, pet food, natural gas, electricity, propane, used vehicles, airline fares, airfare, um, and trees. Tires, sorry, sorry, last one, the tires. So those costs, the lowest is up nearly 20%, 19.5%. The highest, home heating oil, is up 75%. So I'm getting at, it wasn't just a tiny little bit of a fib that President Biden just said to you about Thanksgiving. It is not only, it's a, it's a massive lie. It is not, and I know people can listen and say, oh, come on, this is news to you, politicians lie. Yeah, okay, politicians lie, they do. Um, many don't, but, but many do. So this guy, he's not just though, the point of this story is not just to say that he lied. He, he grotesquely exaggerated. He had to have somebody, either he made it up out of thin air, or whoever gave him the speech, made it up out of thin air, or they played with statistics enough to come up with something. But what I just told you, that's a reality. Everything costs a lot more and wages are down. That's the reality. So. The first point is that he lied. But the second point is getting at why. Why, not why prices are up and wages are down, but why would he lie in that direct and overt way? And that's why I use the term gaslighting. Everyone knows that term, and most of you do. It came from a movie where a guy was trying to convince his wife uh, that she was crazy, and he did these things. He would turn gas lights on and off in the, in the alley or whatever it was behind their house. It was part of, the, it was, that's where the expression came from, from this movie. Gaslighting was this expression. I don't remember the name of the movie. Whatever it was, it was, I think it was an Alfred Hitchcock thing, but it had gaslighting became the term when you deliberately look at people and mislead them and lie to them, contort their expectations, comport, contort their understanding of truth. What Biden is doing is looking you right in the camera, right in your face, and telling you everything's fine. Prices aren't up. You know, so you start to think, well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe, you know, and because I'm not a good enough worker, I don't have enough high income, I don't have enough wages. So, you know, maybe it's really not, um, you know, things aren't really as bad. Maybe it's just me. But it's even worse than that. What this Marxist takedown of America is doing, which is what we are watching before our very eyes, what this Marxist takedown of America is doing is attempting to contort the American people's expectations about everything. The expectations about whether or not it should seem too expensive to travel on Thanksgiving, to go visit you know, your Aunt Sally or your grandmother or wherever you're gonna go. There is a, an ongoing attempt by this Marxist cabal that is worldwide, that is tied to the World Economic Forum and the globalists, a, a, a focus on the idea that you have to adjust down or dumb down people's expectations about what life should be and what you should expect to have in life, what you should expect to be able to do in life, where you should expect to get to live. And so this this gaslighting is to adjust your expectations, to dumb you down, to make you feel like, well, this is the norm. I guess this is the new norm. We're all supposed to be kind of, you know, a little bit, um, you know, 
don't have quite everything we need, but this is okay. And the other thing uh, that the Biden economic thing is doing um, is it's causing people to think somehow it's their fault and what they're doing wrong, or that worse, this is just the mutual sacrifice we all must make. You know, like the parents used to say, eat your peas because your kid's driving in India, and you'd say, please send it to them. Well, this is this idea in America that Americans are, we have too much abundance, too much supply, too much of optimism, too much opportunity, too much, you know, wholesome, healthy life that we should somehow be suffering because we deserve to suffer because success and optimism and freedom are bad things. This is what, this is part of this whole Marxist mindset is to keep convincing you that your expectation of a normal Thanksgiving where, you know, prices were up a tiny bit from last year, but everything's fine. Your expectation of a normal Thanksgiving, the capacity to buy and, and produce normal food, serve it on the table, to travel if you want to travel, that these are, these are for, this is because you're not noble enough that you expect these things, that you, you must be adjusted in your thinking so that you just, you shouldn't be expecting these kind of things. Um, and, and you should be, you're the, the new modern progressive way to think is that we all should, you know, cut back, not have as much and, and, and not have the abundant life that America is capable of producing. This is what the, this, and why I'm saying all this is Biden isn't just lying to you like many politicians will when they try to talk to you about, you know, the cost of anything, or they try to tell you why, you know, the policies didn't turn out the way we thought. Biden is lying to you with a very malicious intent to have the people of America dumbed down in terms of what they expect and in feeling unsure of themselves and, and, and worse, feeling noble because, oh yes, I'm willing to sacrifice. We don't really have to have as much as I thought we did. I don't really have to be comfortable. I'll be okay when they tell me I can't heat my home in the winter or can't cool it in the summer. I'll be okay when they tell me I can't have my car anymore because, you know, we have to all go to, um, you know, we can't use be using diesel fuel. We can't be using fossil fuels. So you're going to have to give up your fossil fuel driven car. You're going to have to live in 15 minute cities. There's a, there's a notion the leftists use in trying to sell their evil ideas that you are somehow noble because you will sacrifice and make your life, you know, less abundant, less comfortable. You're willing to live in the 15 minute city, forego family vacations, driving out, um, you know, driving uh, out to visit the national parks, all those things people loved to do that, you know, you need to see that as a relic of the past because we're going to get rid of fossil fuel um, cars and pretty soon we're going to all figure out we cannot have electric vehicles. I mean, we can't all have them. A few people can have them, but they are, they are expensive to produce, they're dangerous to produce, they're dangerous to maintain, they're expensive to maintain. I mean, everything about them is a farce. But you're going to be lured along into thinking this is what we have to do. This is the new future. It's a World Economic Forum mentality when they put out that famous statement saying that uh, you'll have, you'll own nothing. By 2030, this now is getting close. We're almost in 2024. World Economic Forum statement several years ago, late, I think it was in 2019, was you'll, by 2030, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Don't, I mean, do connect the dots between the mentality Biden is selling you, lies about the economy, lies about the cost of Thanksgiving dinner, lies about prices, lies about everything, 
is to entirely adjust what you expect as the norm in America, expect as a norm of freedom, expect as a norm of abundance, is to make you feel that you are noble and good because you'll give up everything because they're telling you you have to, and you don't have to. There is no reason to give everything up that the left wants you to give up. I really, I, I guess in wrapping up this point on this story, oh, and by the way, there are a lot of statistics pointing out now. I mean, Bidenomics, the term Bidenomics is being used during his um, this term, and there were several articles recently talking about his top advisors at the White House um, are having to scramble because, as it turns out, the economy is horrible under President Biden's policies. Horrible. And it, you know, it, it's ridiculous in every way, and everyone can see it. Everything costs more. There's less. I mean, the economy is in shambles because of Biden policies. So now they're trying to reel back and redefine what Biden, Biden, Bidenomics means because everyone means, oh, Bidenomics means we're all hungry or we don't have enough. And and we're expected to, to not have enough. We're expected to give up everything. And there are some studies out showing recently showing that there's actually um, within the Bidenomics world, um, there are people who are now trying to advise the Biden administration, uh, you know, you might want to knock it off uh, with the whole, um, you know, um, uh, sorry, you might want to knock it off and trying to focus on Biden economics as the winning campaign theme because Americans can see they don't like the Biden economy, they don't like the Biden economic policies, they want things to change, and, and this is taking a toll on the Democrat Party and on their efforts to, to run elections in this next cycle. People want, they want to hear from Democrat candidates. They reject Bidenomics, they reject Biden. That's what they like to hear if they only could. So that the polling is out there showing is kind of hurting them. Uh, Biden's poll number is worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, his, they just, uh, his numbers go down and down and down and down, which I will tell you leads me to one more point before I get to the last uh, topic for today. And that is, you know, when you can see how bad the economy is and you can see that the people in America are livid over the border isn't enforced and the military has been put into shambles into a, you know, a popularity contest over pronouns or something idiotic like that. When you have COVID policy continue to come out tyrannical, ridiculous, people are not happy with the Biden administration. And so as they continue these policies, don't adjust anything. You have to ask yourself why because nothing they're doing is popular with the American people. The withdrawal from Afghanistan, foreign policy, giving the World Health Organization actual sovereignty over America's healthcare policy, everything they're doing is unpopular with the American people, but they don't change. They don't change. They don't say, well, you know, now that we see our policies aren't working, now that we see, you know, Afghanistan's in ruins, now that we see the people are polling, it's, you know, Biden's down in horrible low numbers, they don't change, and the reason they don't change is because they're very confident that they can manipulate the election again in 2024. So whether it is Biden or somebody else who might think they're going to run in Biden's place, I don't know, might be California Governor Newsom, might be, uh, I don't know, Michelle Obama, whoever it is, the left is not worried that their policies are horrible because they believe they can control the elections. They don't think it's going to matter what the people really vote for and really want because they're going to, after all, be able to control the elections so they can continue inflicting misery on America because, after all, at the end of the day, elections aren't really valid and they know it. Okay, the movie. I'm, someone sent me this, thank you very much. Gaslighting, the term, which is a great term, uh, it comes from the movie from 1944 
called Gaslight. I'd forgotten it was called that. The movie, the manipulative gaslights are operated from the attic. And so the guy, the husband who's trying to convince his wife she's crazy because he wants to lock her up. And I don't know what he wants. He wants her money, I think. I remember the plot line. I think he wants her money. But in any case, they're manipulating the lights, uh, the gaslights. And the wife is thinking, I don't know what's going on here. Um, and he's doing it to her. Finally, she figures it out. Thank goodness. Okay. So last thing I want to say um, is um, there, I have one more topic for today, which I called uh, Ongoing COVID Tyranny and Dr. Naomi Wolf. And, you know, <clears throat> um, before I hit that, um, I am going to do one other quick thing, because it was just kind of funny about the idea of gaslighting. I sent Mr. Emilio a clip, which is of the, it's from the um, Star Wars movie when Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, is trying to control the situation, like mind control. It's uh, these are the droids, these are not the droids you're looking for. I love that scene. So I grabbed that clip. I think we have, do we have it? Yeah, we do. Okay, let's quick play that just for our own entertainment here. About three or four seasons. They're up for sale if you want them. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. Move along. <laughs> Okay, I love that, and I may play it more often. We're going to save that and play more often because this is what Biden is saying to you. Just like, these are not the droids you're looking for. I mean, of course, you know, they were the droids they were looking for, and Biden is saying, oh, everything's great. It's like, no, it's not great. You can't dupe us this way. And this gaslighting concept, this telling, looking right in the, right in the camera, right at the American people, and lying to them is kind of standard operating procedure for this administration. We'll talk about it more, but what it requires then is for people to pay attention to facts, to truth, to reality. Pay attention. Don't just get duped by every idiotic statement coming out of the Biden administration. Okay, last thing for today. I actually, I call this, you're talking about COVID, um, ongoing COVID tyranny and Dr. Naomi Wolf. So uh, in the state of New York, during the COVID um, pandemic, when we, they had, you know, really dangerous things put in place in many places around the country where there was a kind of usurping of executive power and using executive power through executive orders and emergency procedures uh, to put in place things uh, that were very alarming. And so here in Texas, for example, we did have our governor put some things in place that people disagreed with. And I believe in this last legislative session, we um, the legislators changed that. The legislators changed that um, so that there isn't that extreme power vested in the governor to um, do things to people uh, without legislative approval, authority, you know, just putting in place emergency powers. Well, in the state of New York, Governor Hochul, who is just a, you know, a, a Democrat, a very, very leftist Democrat, kind of a, the tyrannical type, um, she had some procedures that she um, wanted in place during the COVID uh pandemic and then the pandemic well it was over much earlier than they finally admitted it was over but anyway it went on and then uh the 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 pandemic subsided the governor still got these authorities and there was a group as a lawyer took a case for this one of the state senators in new york 
um, as well as a group of plaintiffs, basically went to court and said, to state court in New York, said, you know, these, these aren't right. She doesn't have this authority. And the senator who was part of, who was a plaintiff in this, suing Governor Hochul, said she's usurping, she's taking away the power the legislature is supposed to have by having these policies. And their policies, if you want to talk about draconium, the regulation that Governor Hochul wanted and is now still in place um, said essentially that they can come to your home unannounced, no subpoena, no finding of wrongdoing, no criminal charges, come to your home and grab you or others in your home not complying with the COVID requirements, whatever they are at that time, not just COVID, but any kind of pandemic or emergency health care um, requirements and remove you from your home and take you to what they call a temporary residential facility. So this lawyer representing a bunch of plaintiffs just saying, you know, Governor Hochul should not be allowed to do this. There should be some process. The legislature should be involved. This is not right. So the lawyer takes a case for the state senator and some other people. They go to the state. The first court found in their favor throughout the regulations uh, that said that you that uh, the governor or the government could just come to your home unannounced, no finding by a judge, no just no basis other than we think probably you're a problem, uh, and go into people's home and, and take them out and put them in to what is became in New Zealand and Australia, these kind of concentration camps or these re-education camps, whatever you want to call them, people who wouldn't comply with the government mandates related to COVID were taken away and put away. And in New York, this was potential to occur under the regulations that Governor Hochul had in place. So the trial court said to the plaintiffs, to the state senator, you're right, Hochul shouldn't be able to do this. This is not something we're gonna, we, can, we can have. So so she lost, she, the governor of New York, Hochul, lost at the trial court level, went up on appeal, and as it turns out, the appellate court reinstated all of those regulations. They overruled the trial court, but the basis for the ruling of this, of this um, appellate court uh, was, was, was standing, was this idea that you know, um, the uh, plaintiffs didn't have standing. So they, they did not rule on the merits of the case, but this is, people are calling it the quarantine camp regulation because it's kind of what it is. What Hochul is saying is she wants the power um, to lock people up who won't go along with whatever the regulation is um, during these COVID things, even though, as, as you likely have understood by now, uh, much evidence has emerged since the COVID pandemic by actual doctors practicing actual medicine, just saying, you know, almost all the procedures that were put in place in response to COVID were absolutely unnecessary that masks don't help. Masks do not prevent the spread of viruses. They do not. They are, that's been known since, uh, you know, first year medical school has been known for decades. Masks don't stop the spread. So mandatory masks, social distancing, there's no study, no scientific study saying that is helpful at all. The shutting down of businesses, the, uh, I mean, just everything that occurred was so outrageous and extreme. But I wanted to say, so, so Hochul is back and, and, and the uh, lawyer for, uh, the state center, others, has uh, contemplating an appeal. Uh, I guess, as last I read, they haven't decided whether or not to appeal. But um, I'll throw in two other things to consider as we continue talking about COVID. And the reason is you might be thinking, well, COVID's over. Yes, the current COVID emergency uh, or the alleged emergency, the pandemic, has been over a while. Um, but, you know, much concern exists about whether or not this will be a vehicle for 
other um, future, or even for this coming election, basically a little less than a year from now, um, whether there will be some other emergency that's going to uh, allegedly kick in place and it's going to cause the government to say, well, we have to go back to all mail-in ballots and we have to shut everything down again and you can't go to church, you can't go to your public meeting. And so there's a lot of uh, concern about this. But I, I raised this story today because I want to juxtapose it or ask you to think about, compare what Hochul's trying to say with what has, has now been discovered about what was actually true about COVID-19, what was actually true. And so two things I wanna share. One is Dr. Naomi Wolf, uh, who was, if you recall her, she was a, a Bill Clinton era campaign person. She was a total leftist. And when COVID came along and after COVID, she was the one who got very, very curious about, very um, determined to look into the question of the Pfizer vaccines and um, looking into whether or not, what Pfizer knew about how dangerous their vaccines were, um, you know, uh, as, as they were selling them to the public. And so you likely recall, uh, there was a freedom of information lawsuit. Pfizer claimed they had to have absolute, couldn't release the results of all of their studies before the COVID vaccine was released by them. They had all these studies about danger, efficacy, side effects, all those things that vaccines normally go through. Pfizer told the court they, they could not release those results of their research before release or their, their you know safety tests until it was like 76 years or some stupid thing. Anyway, the court said, no way, you're gonna release it now. Dr. Naomi Wolf dove in, got a bunch of actual experts to read through all of the data Pfizer was forced to release to the public, and in which it went through, you know, what the um, what the uh, side effects were, the numbers, a percentage of people who had side effects, uh, the impact on uh, literally on pregnant women, on having miscarriages, um, having stillbirths, having uh, unable to conceive, and, and all other sorts of categories. The point was, Dr. Naomi Wolf uncovered massive, massive proof by hiring an army of people to read through the thousands and thousands of pages of documents Pfizer was forced to release to get to the point of saying, Pfizer knew the vaccines they released were very, very dangerous. And so we sit here today, we have Hochul still pushing for power to, you know, control people to the point of threatening them, if you don't get the vaccine as required by her or her administration, you might get a knock on the door in the middle of the night, or maybe they won't even knock, come and take you and put you in a re-education camp or some other quarantine camp for, for un, un, duration unlimited. And by the way, in her regulation, there's no right of appeal. You don't have a process to go to the courts and say, hey, wait, I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I here? No process of appeal. The woman is tyrannical, and I, I'm raising this to say her conduct, in light of what we now know about the danger of the vaccines, uh, number one, um, and so I urge you, if you didn't read, I put up at our website today, at americacanwetalk.org, I did put up um, links to several of the stories that summarize what we know now about the vaccines. One was an article by uh, Naomi Wolf. Uh, she wrote, um, Pfizer was aware of the mRNA COVID vaccine dangers long before, this was an article from a year ago, more than a year ago, April of 2022, where she's basically saying they knew all along that their vaccines were dangerous and they just didn't tell us. And yet, as you know, if you watch NFL, as we do like all the time at our house, Pfizer is still advertising 
on, on national television about how great it is, come and get our vaccines. So, and then the other thing, beside the danger, there's another great, great writer who's been doing brilliant work. His name is Steve Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H, Kirsch, um, where he has many, he's got a substack you can follow. I think it's just called, yeah, it's just Kirsch Substack, K-I-R-S-C-H, Substack. Tons of data about what he's uncovering about the vaccines. Not only that they're not effective because you actually, you still can get COVID, you still can, you're still contagious, you can spread to others, you can still get hospitalized, you can still die, even if you got the vaccines. But he's actually talking about data coming out from Israel, uh, from their Ministry of Health, uh, that's saying the vaccines are actually killing people. And they got charts. And I, this isn't news for most of you. But I'm getting around to think, what is the mindset of someone like Governor Hochul, who must have some knowledge of these kind, this kind of information, and she's still retaining and grasping to retain, fighting to retain power to force you to get vaccines she wants you to get or end up in a quarantine camp when we now know what the vaccines are all about. Last point on this, we'll have to get to it another time, uh, but Naomi Wolf also, she wrote an introduction to a book. There's a new book out by a guy named Dr. Michael, and it's N-E-H-L-S, I assume it's Niels, anyway, or Nels, whatever it is. Dr. Michael Nels has a new book out called The Indoctrinated Brain. The indoctrinated brain. And Naomi Wolf uh, wrote the foreword. And the gist of it, because I'm out of time, but the gist of it I wanted to share with you, I'll get into it again when I can, is the idea that the spike proteins, the spike proteins, both in the COVID, the COVID-19 virus, as well as in the vaccines, in the virus and in the vaccines, those have the property of traveling to your brain and causing change in behavior to where humans become more docile, more submissive, more unquestioning, more unthinking. He's actually written a book talking about the impact of these spike proteins on the human brain and part of it being his analysis after actual medical research his analysis is that the COVID virus and the vaccine have harmed the brains of American citizens, harmed them because it is causing Americans to become more submissive, more docile, and that this is intentional. That is one of the points of this cooked up vaccine, uh, COVID, COVID virus, this cooked up vaccine uh, emergency, everything that was done in around the world over the last several years. He's saying it has this property because you've noticed in your friends, I'm sure I've noticed in some of my friends too, uh, and, and people who've gotten the vaccine, you can't reason with them. You'll show them data, you'll tell them facts, you send them links, you say, you know, whether it's, you know, as it turns out, masks don't help or as it turns out the vaccines are dangerous, or as it turns out the vaccines are causing more injuries than the virus itself did. All the things you can show, and there are just mountains of data out there on this, but you, have, you encounter a resistance among some people who are vaccinated. It's like they can't process. There may be other explanations. I will tell you, just psychologically, um, people who've had the vaccine, uh, I think they, and, and, and by the way, if you've had the vaccine, 
as many of my friends and family have, you know, uh, many people are just fine. Not, nothing does happen to them, but far too many do have a problem, do have a problem, and it's due to the vaccine itself. And part of, I think, the psychology when you've had the vaccine is when someone tells you the vaccine is dangerous, you kind of don't want to hear it. You want to validate your own choice, your own experience, your own life, because at this point, you can't undo it. So people just want to go, I don't want to hear it, you know, la, 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 I don't want to hear it, because after all, they've already made that choice. We'll talk more about this, but I do think in my commentary about America and observing government in our country, the idea that we'd have, you know, Pfizer in Washington, the FDA, um, the CDC, the NIH still continuing to push vaccines in, in light of just the massive evidence out there of their, uh, number one, ineffectiveness in terms of preventing transmission, number two, the harm they're imposing on people, and yet they keep going, they keep pushing NIH and CDC, they keep pushing these, and, and, the, and the FDA, everything's fine, just don't worry, keep taking it, keep running ads, Pfizer keeps running ads, and, and so you do, you get to the point of thinking there, there's an alarming seeming agenda going on uh, that must be recognized by the people. And, and this concept, what Naomi Wolf is talking about, that part of what, what this doctor wrote a book about, The Indoctrinated Brain, where it's actually impacting the way we think um, and, and whether our capacity to process facts and reality. I, I mean, it's really, it's, it's heavy stuff, as they say. Okay, in past time, uh, fortunately, Mr. Emilio is not cutting the camera off. So we better go to what I do at the close of every show. I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started talking about the start of the show, why the NC, RNC is broke. RNC is entering 2024 with funding at an eight-year low. Patriots, little people in the eyes of the ruling class have walked away from the RNC. RNC remains stuck and out of touch. A wealthy club, not an organized channel for giving voice to the American patriots, refuses to acknowledge that 2020 election was stolen, that J6 was a Fed surrection, and that treatment of the J6 prisoners is an egregious abomination of the American rule of law refuses to acknowledge that its base has decided Trump is the man for the times, maybe just as much as George Washington was the man for his times, refuses to or can't see the dismantling of the deep state as the issue of 2024, which it is, and Trump is the only presidential means to that end, will not denounce political witch hunt indictments of Trump or support Trump's legal defense. The RNC may stay broke unless and until radical reshaping, reorganizing, and re-energizing. That's why I'm running for RNC committee woman for Texas. And I do want to tell you again our website, Debbie G for RNC, D-E-B-B-I-E, G, the numeral four, rnc.com. Check out my RNC website. Love to have your endorsement. Okay. Biden's gaslighting turkey lies. Biden commented that Thanksgiving prices were the fourth lowest in history. Americans must recognize this Biden statement is demonstrably false, materially false, and intentionally false. This statement is not political spin, is deliberate deceit, gaslighting, and it serves an agenda. Bidenomics is pur purposely destroying the American middle class. Its climate change driven agenda is to force Americans to submit to a future of less of everything. So along the way, 
The Biden cabal will lie to everyday people about what's really happening in the economy. Americans are smarter than the Biden cabal believes them to be. An honest 2024 election will sweep the Biden cabal out of power. An ongoing COVID tyranny in Dr. Naomi Wolf. New York Governor Hochul has legal authority to remove New Yorkers from their homes and put them in camps if they don't obey government health care mandates. New York State Rep's effort to strike down law, Hochul's authority, was denied by a New York court for lack of standing, i.e., no right to sue unless you're harmed by the law. They're saying you have to end up being put in camp before you can challenge these. New Yorkers ought to leave New York in droves. This law represents pure anti-American tyranny. Dr. Naomi Wolf continues her mission to expose COVID-related harms and fraud. Wolf's study of Pfizer data shows Pfizer awareness of vaccine dangers prior to public release. Wolf now drawing attention to Dr. Michael Nell's book, suggesting spike proteins of COVID virus and COVID vaccines appear to indicate a purposeful effort to control the human brain, turning men and women into more controllable quasi-zombies. Keep an eye on the work of Dr. Wolf and Steve Kirsch, both former Democrats, libs, who are onto big pharma, big government, big healthcare, fraud and deceit about all things COVID, and they are not going away. So we went a little past our time today, but I do want to thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I do this show to speak truth about America, to inspire Americans, to defend and speak up for their country. I do this show now because of my campaign for RNC committee woman. I do it two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. This coming Thursday at 3 p.m. we have a live show and our guest is going to be Dr. Miriam Grossman. She's a New York City psychiatrist who wrote a book explaining to the country the fraud of the transgender movement. She has mountains of data, history, facts, and she's basically arguing there is no, this transgender, uh, you know, explosion in America is not real, it's not natural, it's not organic, it is orchestrated, and it is unhealthy, it's harmful to children, adolescents, and to America. She'll be a great guest on, guest on Thursday, so tune in then. And for everyone, thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I do this show America Can We Talk to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear us now?